And we're back with the Hammer Podcast. That's right, friends. We know that your spell of sadness has lifted now that we are here, and it is Hammer Time. That's right, Hammerheads. We are back in the saddle, ready to roll after a long 168 hours. Remember, half our theological brains are tied behind our back just, just. to give... The fighting man a chance. Or we could say the Arminians a chance. Well, that's right. Or give the Arminians a chance. But it would take more than half of our brains tied behind our back to give them a chance. <laughs> oh, I think it might. I think it might. But once again on Sunday, we were following the life of Jesus as he proves his power over disease, but indeed over death as well. I would like to talk a little bit about that and then delve into deeper something that had kind of piqued my interest. And as I was talking to some of the others, you know, on Sunday and, you know, throughout the week, seemed to pique some of their interest as well. But before we get there, you had mentioned that Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue and he really was putting his entire career and income on the line in coming to Jesus. Could you yeah. elaborate on that for us a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we're, we're reading through, and I, I want to say what I said. I believe I said it from the pulpit, uh, at least in, in one of the hours. But it, it's been so challenging, and so I appreciate everyone's prayers. And, and even if there's any advice uh, anyone would have on uh, preaching through uh, the the gospels, you know, I've preached through John before, but right, this is my first time preaching through a synoptic gospel verse by verse, and um, it, it's to to try to figure out exactly how much, uh, how many verses to take, how much of the narrative, you know, like do you do you do all three sets, you know, you have three sets of three miracles in chapters eight and nine, you know, do you take all three together, do you do them individually, um. You know, so I'm I'm learning through that, but uh, I'm finding it challenging and rewarding. But now on to Jairus. Yes, on to old Jairus. You know, I, I he was, as I said, um, the ruler of the synagogue, and as you can imagine, uh, each each synagogue ruler uh, would ultimately answer to uh, Pharisees, people on the Sanhedrin, you know, the the religious elite among right. Israel. So as you can imagine, um, they, you know, if, if a synagogue ruler was to begin to speak favorably of Jesus, that would be a problem. They might uh, lose their position. Yes, yes. That would not... Cancel culture before cancel culture? Uh, yeah, right. That, that would <laughs> not be a very good career move for them. Okay, let alone, let alone going out to seek Jesus and and... Going and expressing faith, and look, you're the only one that can help me here. Right. Uh, that you know that would be putting your career on the line. Now we're not told anything specifically about Jairus personally, in terms of whether or not you know he still had that position as ruler of the synagogue. I mean, we're not told anything about that. I certainly would like to. To know a little more about what happened to Jairus after, yeah, after all of the this. fact, right? What was the fallout? Um, but uh, and obviously, if he if he truly came to faith in Christ, then he's going to be looking 
for another career anyway right. at some point. Either that or he's going to say, look, man, I'm the ruler of the synagogue. We're going to preach God's word. Turn We're it into a church. Jesus. You're right. Yeah, we just don't have those details. Right. But, but absolutely. So he doesn't come up anymore in the rest of the New Testament. This is the one time. Yeah, not not directly. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, or at least, you know, at least by name. Right, right. Um, so, to my knowledge. So it would be uh, yeah, it would be interesting to, to know a little more about that. But anyway, yeah, he, he was a man who obviously uh, was desperate enough that he didn't care about anything but his daughter at that point in time. And so... Right. He was going to go to Jesus, and he wasn't going to worry about the fallout from that. Yeah, and it really, it shows a lot of boldness on his part. Maybe a boldness that we would like to see in our culture more today, where people aren't worried about the fallout. They'll just do what's right. Well, sure. I mean, you know, you think about uh, people in certain jobs. And, and look, we, we all have some different uh, different places of employment and things like that, but you know, when it comes down to using people's preferred pronouns and things like that, um, you know, there are different people in different positions and different jobs that may be pressured on those issues, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um and 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 now obviously that's a little bit of a different uh context than this guy whose daughter's dying at death's doorstep and is going to seek Jesus to save his daughter, right? But yet the tie in is that if we're going to really seek Jesus and be followers of Christ, we're going to pay a career price and an right. employment price. Believers throughout church history have. Uh, believers in other countries even now are. So for us, for us, it's so foreign, especially in the Bible Belt, right? Because, and I don't know that I see this as much today, but I'm telling you, 20 years ago. It would be nothing to drive down the road and see a plumbing truck go by with some sort of, you know, the, the fish or something letting you know. Right, some sort of Jesus paraphernalia. Right, an electrical company truck. Right, right. right. Uh, HVAC contractor truck. I mean, all of them. Then you go by and, and there's a, a a mechanic shop and they've got it on their sign. And, and you know what I mean? I mean, it was all over. Well, that's just something you just didn't really see in church history unless you were saying, hey, I don't want to make any money. Come vandalize my property and maybe kill me. <laughs> right, right. Wasn't, right. So wasn't the best way to win friends and influence it, people. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so we've been very blessed, which can lead to being spoiled right. in that way in our culture. Uh, and look, I and I'm not at all I'm going to put myself up as some sort of, uh, you know, like, look at me. I'm so great. But look, I mean, I, I'm. I'm in the ministry and paying the price with other people in the ministry. Yeah. Uh, especially through COVID and those sort of things. You know, they're just, there are a lot of other guys that I've been acquainted with, still am, uh, that are in the ministry and just not very happy with my stance on things um, and are very anti me, anti kind of MacArthur's church, what they did. And, right. And, you know, the whole nine marks and, and they took a different view than MacArthur. And, and we were, we didn't, we didn't wait and see who took what view and then decide we were doing our own thing. Yeah. Uh, even in some respects before those two kind of engaged in a little bit of a battle, but, but we happened to do the same thing that uh, pretty much that, MacArthur's church did and ministry did out there, right? Right. And it wasn't just him. I mean, he's got a team of elders and everything. 
but their reasoning was really the same as ours. Uh, we're just looking at scripture. Right. Uh, but paid a price there and then you know i won't mention the christian school down the road but you know i used to teach <laughs> there and frankly most in the bible department uh a lot of the people i just don't know anymore but the ones that knew me aren't too enamored with me you know first it, years ago it was because i was a calvinist yeah yeah there was a witch hunt for calvinists for oh, a there while. Was. yeah then several of the people who were against me because i was a calvinist actually became uh calvinistic uh, at least in their soteriology <sighs> Yeah, which is interesting, <laughs> but but Very. then now but then now they're upset with me primarily because you know I I took the view in staff meetings that girls should not be you know able to be in the preaching labs. Right, right. That would seem biblical. Right? Yeah, and um, and then just on the the social matters. I mean, we just see things differently. I didn't think wearing a mask was a way to love your neighbor, and I certainly knew they were not. Uh, effective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so for reasons like that, you know, I mean, I'm not really asked to to come, you know, they're not asking me to teach classes over there now. Let's put it that way. Right. So, uh, so, so we all, for the truth, you know, are going to pay a price at times. And, yeah. and I think we just have to realize that's how it's always been and that's how it's going to be. Right. No, that's right. Well, and it just goes to show that courage is the chief virtue. Upon courage, all the other ones rise and fall. Right, if you don't have yeah. the courage to stand up for what's right, yeah, that's a, I, I like that. I like that. But okay, well, so speaking about heart attitudes um, and dispositions, can we talk about the woman, about the approach to the woman who had the blood ailment, as yes. well as Jairus's approach? Uh, what was their heart disposition as they approached Jesus, and what does it say to us? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, look, they they both came to him in desperation. You know, I was thinking about, you know, Piper's got desiring God. Right. Uh, and then another guy, Sam, something, I forget his last name, he decided to... Not Sam Alberry. No, no, not, <laughs> not Sam Alberry. Um, yeah, I was going to say some other things about that, but I'm just going to digress. Uh, but th there's another guy, I think it's enjoying... Jesus ministry, something like that. But I tell you, desperate for Jesus or something like that would be a pretty good ministry name. And that really would be a great uh, one. You know, but they were both desperate. That there, there wasn't anywhere else to go. There wasn't anyone else to go to. There was only one answer. They both had separate problems, right? Separate right. emergencies, right? Totally but they had the same answer, and that was Jesus. And there wasn't anyone else, and they knew that. And so we see them in desperation. I mean, this woman is, you talk about putting her, your life on the line. She's not supposed to be around people. And she had to be touching other people on the way to Jesus because the crowd was packed in there. Right? They were, the crowd was pressed together as, uh, as Mark or Luke describes it. So she gets in there to see Jesus, you know, reaches, touches what probably was the tassel. We know at least it was the fringe of his garment. Right. And um, that that's desperation. And, and and so they both were desperate. And obviously we have to look at our lives and say, how desperate really are we? Right. For Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, how how desperate you say, well, I don't have some physical ailment that's killing me. And I've spent everything I've got to to get it fixed and it's only gotten worse. I don't have somebody uh, at the point of death. 
one of my loved ones, right? But we, we need to have that. We need to have that desperation. We at least need to understand and be cognizant all the time that it is Jesus alone. Right. Jesus is our answer to everything. And he's the only one that satisfies. Right. We can have meetings with people. We can do this and that to get promoted at work. We can do this and that to help this relationship. And we can even try. We're really good at trying to manipulate things. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I hope I'm not the only one. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Right. So. But at the end of the day, we know it's a, it's all in, it's Jesus, yeah. Right? It, it, it's all up to him. We have to trust him for everything. So they were desperate, but they also were were came in great humility. You know, both of them bowed down before him, fell down before him. Uh, ultimately, an act of worship, right? Uh, and then we we see even with uh, certainly the woman, there was this this fear, right? This, this kind of awe that was there. And she didn't know what was going to happen. Right. I mean, she didn't know, are these people going to stone me? Is Jesus himself going to strike me dead? I mean, what is going to happen here? Um, so just their approach, their hard attitude, uh, I think, is because, look, we can we, we sh- look, it is never a bad thing for us to approach Jesus. Right. Right. When we're depressed, we absolutely should approach him. But but there are times, you know, and when we're riding high, right. spiritual high, we, we should Approach him, right? Pray to him, speak to him, read read his word. All right, but it, it is oftentimes we we might come to Christ almost a little more like Jonah, you know, like not really happy with what he's dealing us in life. Yeah, kind of begrudging. Kinda, yeah, yeah, d- depressed and frankly a little upset and disappointed uh, and dejected at the Lord and, right. and what seems to be His will currently for our lives. Right. Um, and again, we should, no matter how our hearts feeling that day, no matter what our feelings are, we should approach him. Right. But to, to approach him with humility and, and with desperation and, and with a fear of, of an awe right. of his being right. is, is really how we ought to routinely be approaching him and we see this in the life of Jairus and this woman. Yeah, well and I think too with Jairus, I mean, he's in a powerful position and then to see this powerful man bow down before Jesus oh, in absolutely. humility and desperation, I mean that had to Absolutely. send some shock waves to the SBI as yeah, they reported yeah, no back to the Sanhedrin. They were taking a lot of notes on that. One. <laughs> I'm sure they were. Yeah, well, it just reminds me of, you know, 1 Peter 5:5, 5, 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And even Isaiah, what is it? I think it's 66, where he says, he talks about the transcendence of God. Who can build a house that yeah, God can right. dwell in? That's Heaven right. is his throne. Earth is his footstool. But I will dwell with this one who has a broken and a contrite, humble heart and fears my word. Right. That's right. All right. Well, we, as we come to the question of great intrigue that I and some of the others at church had had and were discussing, yeah. you know, you had mentioned this thing about Jesus only performing miracles upon, like personal miracles upon request, and that was after a certain point in his ministry. Could you yeah. elaborate on that a little bit more? Because it, it was a very interesting point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to delve more into that and see that as we progress through Matthew's gospel. And I have to, this is one of the great things I'm learning 
as I've gone through. I, I never knew right? this. And I have to thank uh, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum. The Fruch, oh, yeah. as we and, lovingly uh, some call Some others, him. you know, Edersheim. Some others have, have written about some of this. But, but, yeah, one of the things you have to know is that Matthew's gospel is not – not all of it is in chronological order. Okay, right, Mark right. is the one that gives us some more – some events that he's more concerned about chronology. Matthew's more concerned about the fact of certain things taking place, right, and proving right. Jesus is the Messiah. So all that to say that uh, one of the miracles we have coming up this Sunday actually is is, is Jesus heals the deaf and, and mute man, and uh, well, he's got a – he has a demon, cast the demon out, and now the man's speaking. Anyway, so um, – and then we read that the Pharisees say, oh, well, he's doing this by Satan's power, right? Casting out demons. Now, later in Matthew chapter 12, we're really going to see them use that. And that's how they try to say everything Jesus is doing, right? He's doing it <laughs> yeah, by, by the, the power of Beelzebub, by Satan's power. Yeah. Now, this particular miracle here is thought to be uh, where he cast the demon out of this, this mute man, uh, is thought to be after chronologically what we see in, in Matthew 12. But all that to say is the point is that when Jesus first began his public ministry, he was performing miracles as signs to Israel that he was the Messiah, forcing Israel to make a decision. Right. Obviously, some believed, right? Right. Few. But the Pharisees, the religious elite, they rejected Christ. Now, once they rejected Christ as the Messiah... He then began to do miracles, and this is what we're seeing now in Matthew's gospel, only upon based upon personal requests. He didn't just go out in public and start performing miracles. Right. And the purpose now becomes not to force Israel into making a decision. They've already made that. Right. But now you see the disciples become more prominent, uh, the 12 apostles. And he's he's doing this, and he's giving them an inside view of this, because this is going to be their ministry in the book of Acts. Right. right. They're going to go around doing these things. Right. And then another thing you're going to see is the whole basis for the miracles. Right. So we're going to see a, a change concerning the message of his messiahship prior to the religious leaders rejecting him publicly as the messiah and saying that he's doing what he's doing by the power of Satan. Uh, prior to that, Jesus and his disciples went all over Israel proclaiming his messiahship. They he even sent disciples two by two. Like uh, Noah on the ark, the two by... <laughs> yeah, yeah, not quite. Uh, oh. Proclaiming his messiahship, right? Now, however, what we see is he will perform a personal miracle upon request. Right. And then he'll tell people, don't go tell anyone. Now, they don't all listen, but he says, don't go tell anyone. So that's one of the changes we see. And then that leads into uh, the, the final change here, and that is he changes his method of teaching prior to his public rejection by the leaders of his messiahship, he taught the people very clearly. Right. He, I mean, such clarity and such authority, right, that they even said after the Sermon on the Mount, they're like, wow, this is unbelievable. Well, then what does he do? After their public rejection, he begins to teach them. He begins to teach in parables. Hmm. Yes. And that is a direct result of their rejection of him. So all of this we're going to share a little bit more as we go through the book of uh of Matthew, but I, I just find it fascinating. And of course, we see this in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Yeah. So now it's yeah. interesting. So you're saying the hinge point is up until the Jews officially rejecting him as the Messiah. Public rejection, the right? Public rejection, and then after which ultimately that. becomes the sin unto death, right? When they know that he's not doing things based on the power of 
uh, Satan, but yet they claim he is. Right. You know, and again, we're going to talk about all that when we get to Matthew chapter 12. Our hammerheads are just going to have to wait. That's right. As we uh, head on, wait until we get there. All right, That's good. Right. Well, so another question just in regards to the cultural impact. Yeah. What, what do these miracles that Jesus performed, what impact does that have on our culture today? Sure. Well, I don't know that people in the work in our, that we're around in our neighborhoods and working and all that are reading their Bibles to see these miracles <laughs> as we are, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think it, it certainly helps us to see who Jesus is and uh, and therefore proclaim the true Jesus. And and we see here his his love for people. We see that he was approachable. Right. Um, so I, I don't, you know, we just certainly as we're learning from the Gospel of Matthew, we can just in the people God puts in our lives uh, just say, yeah, you know, I'm going through Matthew. Sometimes I'll even have in my neighborhood just walk in and people, will, they know I'm a pastor or others that just find out. Might you know we're talking about work and whatever, and they might say, "Oh yeah, well, what are you, what are you teaching on now?" Okay, yeah, uh, right. You're able to, you know, and you're able to bring those things up. So uh, anyway, yeah, that's good. All right, well, hammerheads, we've had some technical difficulties uh, through our recording, so the caller, we're gonna have to wait on the caller. I, I, you know, we tried to get someone to dial in and it just kept dropping on us. So we're gonna have to. Well, we've been here about an hour and a half just for. 20 minutes or whatever we've got here. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but we do have the vault because we're back in studio. We are back in studio, so we have the vault. And our fan favorite, the Inquisition, is upon us. So, let me turn here to our vault. This thing is quite the colossal. What, what is it? It's insured by the Liberty... Lloyds of London. Yes, the Lords of London. Yes, insured by the... Here we go. Yeah. Whoa. This thing is heavy. All right. Good. Okay, wow. This vault, I'm telling you, buddy, here in my formerly East Coast wing stained fingers, the fan favorite, the Inquisition. That's right. Now, this today's Inquisition has to be has to do with a little more current events, shall we say. So this one must have gotten in the into the vault more recently. But what should a Christian what should be the Christian stance concerning Israel and current events? Uh, what should be the Christian's stance? In other words, how should we as Christians view what's going on? Yes, that's right. Hmm. Well, again, this is another one of those where we're not necessarily going to be the authority on it. And I wouldn't want to say too much about this. This is probably something that we would need a little more time to deal with. But I won't say anything about the political aspect, really, at this point. I don't even understand all of it right now. Uh, confused about some of the stuff being said and so forth. But I would just say this in general, that any time... Any nation or people are attacked by terrorists, uh, we frown upon that, and we say that that is wrong, right? So, and we have to remember that 
we're, we're dealing with people here being killed on both sides that are made in God's image, right? Um, we certainly understand that any nation, and certainly Israel as well, is going to retaliate, and that absolutely is their right to do so. Unfortunately, in this fallen world, we have wars, and this is one of them. Uh, so the bigger questions that people, and maybe even the person that wrote this one in and broke into the vault and put it on top. That's right. Uh, they're probably wondering, you know, how does this tie in with Genesis 12? And, you know, should we support, uh, always support Israel and everything that they do or always be on their side and that sort of thing? And, and those are good questions, but uh, that would be far beyond. Uh, what we could deal with right now. Maybe in a future, like maybe as in the next podcast, we'll deal with that head on. Ah, that would be cool. That might be very good. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Mike. And that'll be a wrap. So thank you, Hammerheads. And we will see you in another 168 hours. <laughs>